Thank you so much for allowing us to come and join you for worship this morning. You know, I, have, I admittedly came a little travel-weary. I've been on the road and in the air for uh, the last uh, two weeks or so, and uh, it was really nice to come and rest in the praises of God's people. Amen. So thank Amen. you very much for allowing us to be here. My name is Al Tizon. I've been serving as the executive minister of Serve Globally uh, since September. So I haven't been in this for very long, but uh, it has been, uh, it has been a, a great privilege, a great joy. I have the best job in the world. I get to go all over the world and get to meet amazing people like President Boca and Sharon Seberger at, at PCC in California. And, and I mean that. It's, it's just as exciting to go to California as it is to Congo and any other place in the world where God is moving. When God moves, exciting things happen. And when, you're, when we're, we're part of that, it's just, you know, it's just a joy and a, and a privilege. So um, I could say more, but that's who I am, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to be here. I'm li- we live in Chicago now. My wife Janice is here with us as well, and um, uh, we're, we're new to Chicago, so, you know, take us out. Do something. That's, <laughs> welcome us here. Sharon? Thank you, Al. Thank you, David, for inviting us, and thank you to that wonderful worship team. That was just a wonderful way to... to start this Sabbath day. I have the privilege of serving as a mission pastor at Peninsula Covenant Church in Redwood City, California. And what makes that church really amazing is that your pastor's grandparents really built the missionary sending mentality at that church many years ago. I had the privilege of knowing them. And then David's parents were the first missionaries to be sent out fully by that church. And so I've kind of followed stories about him since he was little. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I uh, hear stories about the kids from his mother. And, um, but what we, I happened, I got involved in missions in that church just on the eve of the new millennium, and I discovered that missions had changed a little. And it wasn't, we're still very, very involved sending missionaries around the world. But we have the added benefit today of being able to receive the fruit of what those many missionaries have done. And so because of that, we had the, the opportunity to get to know President Boca's predecessor while he was in California getting his PhD. And we built a relationship with him, and he started saying, oh, come to Congo, help us with this, with that. And so we said, well, okay. And we began to build relationships. We began to invite Congolese into our church from time to time to just help in a variety, learn a little English, a little business, a little computer skills, things they thought would help them. And as a result, we discovered that we are really all one body. We're one church. We're one people. And it has been such a delight and such a reward for us. And I just encourage you to look for these opportunities that, uh, to realize that wherever we are, it's one body of Christ. And that we have so much to learn. When President Boca comes to us, and he has such a humble spirit and such a listening ear and a discerning wisdom, and, and he, he helps us. He shows us what Jesus is like. And we are always more like Jesus from having gotten to know him. And so these opportunities abound. Chicago, they have to abound in great ways. And any opportunity that you have as a church to really reach out to people like this, you will be only blessed. Amen. So President Boca, if you could just uh, bring greetings to our church from the church in Congo and anything you can tell us about your church. I speak French, no. English, but English. I greet you all. 
and uh, I, I bless God for my trip here and to be with you uh, today. Uh, very, very worship. Yeah. Uh, I greet all the best salutation for your brothers and sisters in Congo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the church in Congo is very large. The Covenant Church in Congo is very large. One million eight hundred members. And the member is poor? Poor. Yeah. Yeah. I ask you to pray for my responsibility for the church in Congo, for the peace in Congo. And election, election in Congo. Yeah. I thank you. <laughs> thank you. Can you give it to um, Al? Could you fill in just again? Help us imagine uh, the church in Congo and and some details that would help us to know how to pray. Yeah, yeah. One million, one point eight million yeah. people, members of over sixteen hundred congregations. Uh, throughout Congo, but mostly in the northwest region of Congo. And uh, the, the, the ECC has been in partnership with CEUM, which is what the, the, the name of the Covenant Church there, CEUM. We've been in partnership with CEUM now for the last 80 years. And um, we, in fact, have more involvement there than any other part in the world, uh, as we have uh, partnered with the denomination there in many areas of, of uh, church planting, um, disciple-making, uh, but also medical health outreach. You may, have, may or may not have heard of the Paul Carlson Partnership. That's there primarily in Congo. The Covenant Kids Congo, which is a child sponsorship program uh, in partnership with World Vision as we work with CEUM. And, uh, many, uh, and we, of course, send, uh, continue to send missionaries there. We used to have many more, but now there's a, a handful of of uh, faithful missionaries who are continuing to serve alongside President Boca and his and his uh, staff there. Um, so that if, if I don't if that gives you a, a, a an overall picture of the the many ways in which we are involved, and that doesn't include the the local congregations that also continue to do work there, including Peninsula Covenant Church in California and, and a few others that that are there uh, faithfully um, in partnership, walking alongside. Uh, to the CEUM. That, so that gives you a, a picture, but really, uh, you know, that was described to me when I first started, but when I went there, uh, you see it, you smell it, you feel it, and uh, I, I don't know where you are in, as, for, as far as a local congregation to go on a trip, but uh, it, that might, uh, that, that, will, that will be uh, what, what nails it for you in terms of understanding the depth and width of the mission that CEUM leads there, and we walk, as we walk alongside, uh, as we walk alongside them, it's it's a beautiful thing to see uh, people come to Christ and uh, people being being healed through uh, through God's touch through medicine. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see malnourished children begin to be be fed and grow, and um, so many different. Wells being dug. I mean, there's just so many different things that I could I could share with you that that uh, bring glimmers of light 
some salt in these, in these communities that uh, the CEUM leads and we get to walk alongside. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So I consider this an invitation. If there's, a, if there's any interest in forming a team to, to go, you know, come talk to me and we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do about, uh, about getting you there. So That's great. No, yeah. That's very helpful. Uh, we're going to do a, a short reception after the service, so you'll get to ask more questions uh, of these folks. Um, just in the back, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Here's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask uh, members of our leadership team, if you're here, to please come forward. We're going to pray uh, for President Boca. So go ahead and come up, uh, leadership team members who are here. Uh, and then Pastor Michelle, if you could come up as well and lead this time of prayer. Uh, when we lay our hands and pray for President Boca, we are praying for him, but as the representative of our sisters and brothers in Congo, we're praying for the entire church as well. Amen? And President, as we pray for you, we need you to pray for us too. Uh, Chicago has been a very violent city recently. Over 200 people have been killed this year. Um, our schools are uh, in need of, of funding. So as we pray for you today, please, when you return, ask your church to pray for us uh, here in Chicago as, as well. Amen, church? So I'm going to ask church if you would stand and extend your hand in blessing and prayer as Pastor Michelle leads us in praying uh, for the church in Congo. Thank you, Lord. Father, I lift my brother, President Boko, to you right now. God, I thank you for, um, I thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness that his life is. I thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness that the church in Congo is. And so we pray, God, that you would continue to move powerfully in the way that you have been moving. God, I pray that you would um, continue to keep him and that you would bless him. And I pray, God, that you would enlarge his faith to be able to receive all that you have for him. God, I thank you for his faithful service. And I pray that even as he is um, stepping um, into new positions, Lord, I pray, God, that you would um, continue to just enlarge his territory, Lord. God, we pray that that church would continue to grow and expand. I thank you, God, um, that we are a part of a denomination um, that is big, not just here, but is bigger um, in the Congo, Lord. God, and I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the oneness, of the unity of your body, Lord. And so I do pray that you would help us to be a body that is healthy, Lord. And so if there are limbs, if there are members of the body in Congo who you are calling to be here in some way and to bless us in ministry, we ask that you would let that relationship happen. And if there are members over here in this body, if there are limbs that need to be there, God, we pray that you would call people, Lord. You would stir up a a desire for missions in both spaces, Lord God, uh, and that you would send us and we would be willing to go. We pray for a hedge of protection, God. Um, as they are traveling, as he is traveling, Lord Jesus, and in the church in general, we pray for protection for leaders and for the congregation, and we pray for health, we pray for wholeness, and we pray that your spirit would continue to move powerfully, Lord. So please protect and please bless, bless abundantly. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, can you just thank uh, President Boca for his faithfulness and ministry? So I, I really want to encourage you all to stick around after the service, get to know these folks, Sharon, Al, President uh, uh, Boca. Um, and actually, we're going to do one other thing here. We're going to receive a special offering. So ushers, if you can get the baskets and go ahead and come on forward. This is a very practical thing that we get to do today. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, President Boca has to travel around a very large area. And uh, apparently his vehicle is just on its very last legs. I think that was the technical term that somebody gave me. So 
Uh, currently, there's an, an offering being raised to help uh, provide this very practical tool that will allow him to fulfill the specifics of his call in some very, um, very practical ways coming up. So we're going to receive two offerings today. We're going to receive this one and then our regular one at the end of my sermon. If you are in a position to only give to one offering this morning, I'm asking that you give to this offering, okay? If you're, if you're only able to give to one, please, please give to this special offering that we're going to receive now and, uh, and then... Uh, just let the plate pass by uh, after the sermon. Amen? So I ask you to please give very generously. It's not every day, church, that we get an opportunity to, in such a tangible, practical way, uh, hold hands with and partner uh, with our sisters and brothers around the world. Amen? Amen. And so now, Lord, uh, please uh, um, help us to give uh, generously. Uh, Give us your perspective, Lord God, that we are uh, members of a body uh, who have blessed us, and who in some way we now have a chance to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll go ahead and pass the, the basket right now. And um, so as that's happening, if you can turn in your uh, Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 11. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. Matthew and then Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 11. As you're finding that, uh, a reminder, we've been in this sermon series for a little while, walking through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus and his disciples and followers have moved from the north of Galilee, their hometown, their home country, where they're uh, relatively comfortable, and Jesus is now leading them to the region of Judea, and now today, actually, to Jerusalem, the capital city. And we saw last week that as they get to Jerusalem, the followers are getting nervous. The text tells us they're getting afraid. Why? Because Jesus has been preaching from the very beginning that he is a new king who's bringing God's kingdom to earth. And his followers and his disciples know that when they get to the center of religious and political power, a confrontation is coming. There can only be one king, Caesar or Jesus. There can only be one king, Herod or Jesus. And so the disciples and his followers, the text tells us, were astonished and afraid as they got close to Jerusalem because they knew a confrontation is is on its way. So we're going to see some of that today in Mark chapter 11. If you could stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead And those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God. And so add now your blessing, your knowledge, and your wisdom to this word. Lord, make it alive and active through the power of your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated.
We've said repeatedly in this series that Mark is likely writing to a young church in uh, the very center of the Roman Empire in Rome. Uh, Likely they are being persecuted. Uh, Likely they are a little bit confused about what it means to be a Jesus follower in these circumstances. And so Mark paints a very specific picture for this church. He paints a picture of a conquering king coming to his capital city. Now, those in the crowd that day would have felt maybe a bit ambiguous about it. We see them getting excited. We see them chanting some things and singing some things, but then they all sort of dissipate. So there's sort of a, what's happening here? And is he the one? And, but I got to get to this thing over here. But, but in hindsight, Mark wants the church in Rome to see, here is the coming king coming to his uh, kingdom. There is a confrontation that is on its way. So, so look at how Mark does this. He has Jesus on an un ridden cult. Everybody else is walking. It's Passover. There's hundreds and thousands of people coming to Jerusalem, marching up this road. Everybody else is walking as was common, but Jesus says, I need to be on a cult. I need to ride in as a king. And Mark tells us that this is an unridden cult, which brings to mind an Old Testament memory of an unblemished animal that had been set apart for sacred purposes. So all this symbolism of how Jesus is approaching Jerusalem on this, on this day. Another thing that would kind of clue us into Jesus coming as a conquering king is that the disciples actually do everything they're supposed to do. Usually they're knuckleheads, right? Usually in the Gospel of Mark, they miss it, they're, they're out to lunch, they're misinterpreting things. They get everything exactly right in this passage. I mean, if you compare it, Jesus says, do this, and they do this. Jesus says, say this, and they say this. Jesus says, when this happens, then you respond this way, and they do it exactly right. Jesus' authority is meant to be very clear to us right here. Not only do the disciples obey Jesus, but they find everything to be exactly the way Jesus said it was going to be. You're going to go over here, you're going to find this colt, no one's ever going to have ridden it before, and then somebody's probably going to ask you why you're stealing their colt, and this is what you're going to, and it happens exactly like that, right? Jesus' authority is on full and beautiful display here. He is the king who's coming in authority uh, 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 and and, and the power of of God. The the, the crowds, uh, when they see Jesus, they take off their jackets, they take off their coats, and they throw them down onto the road. Now, some of you have been in church so long that you just kind of like, okay, yeah, I guess that's what people did. No! Nobody does that. That's not a thing that you do, especially if you only got like one or two cloaks, right? And you don't have a washing machine at home. You're not going to throw it down on a dusty road for someone to walk over, for someone to drive your donkey or your ride your like no of course not but they do they bring branches down they put the branches down on the road the symbol of honor and respect for this coming king and then maybe most importantly they're singing now the song that they're singing would be a passover psalm a psalm from the old testament that would have been common for the crowds to be singing together as they're walking up to Jerusalem, to the temple for Passover, bringing to mind God's faithfulness. And and I need you to think about these Passover psalms kind of like the old slave spirituals, right? Like kind of two levels of things going on, right? Because when the slaves were singing, the master heard one thing, right? But everybody in the field heard something else. The master heard, okay, yeah, you're gonna go to heaven one day, that's fine. But what the people in the field, what'd they hear? Here's the plan. Here's what's what's going down. Here's what we're going to do. It's similar with with the Passover Psalms, right? Pilate, the Roman governor, lived in Caesarea, down by the the Mediterranean Sea most of the time. 
But when there were big festivals, Pilate, as Rome's authority figure, would show up to Jerusalem to, to keep the peace. And the Roman soldiers were on their guards. And when they heard these Passover psalms, oh, there's those Jews again singing about one day, heaven in the sky, okay, Hosanna in the highest. Whatever. But what did the people on the street hear? Hosanna! What does Hosanna mean? Anybody know? Save me! Save me! Now, that, now, who are they saying it to? The man on the horse. Save me. This is political language. This is, we're expecting something to actually happen language. They say, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who's that? The Messiah. Who are they looking at? Oh, come on, y'all. Who are they looking at? Right? Jesus. So, this is, so the Romans hear one thing, oh, there they go, doing their thing again. But they're all looking at Jesus and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. From who? Right. right. Two levels of meaning, do you see? And then the crowd adds something that's not in the original Passover psalm. They say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They just slide that one in there, right? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The hope that one day God would send a Messiah who would be in the pattern of the greatest king, the one after God's own heart, David himself. And now they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, I think it's happening. I think the kingdom is coming. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Save us from the highest heaven. Where is heaven? Not somewhere ethereal souls floating around. Heaven, as we've said repeatedly, is the realm where God's will is perfectly done. Where God is in charge. Where justice and mercy and grace rule. Earth, we're in rebellion against that. And we see the consequences of that all around us. They say, now, now, Hosanna, that your will would be done in heaven, in earth, as it is in heaven. Now, is this... One day when God makes all things right, maybe. Or maybe it's, it's happening now. God's doing this thing now. Okay, so do you see the picture Mark is painting here? Do you see how he wants his, his church to hear this? Jesus is coming. Not everybody saw it. It was kind of ambiguous on that day. There's a lot of commotion, a lot of noise. But Jesus is coming as king as a conquering king, as the world's legitimate king, as the one who holds all power and authority in his hands. Amen? What does that mean for us? Over and over again, we have seen in Mark that we need to understand that Jesus is king. Mark shows us this from the very beginning when Jesus' first words in ministry are, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And over and over again, we see Jesus describing the kingdom, preaching the kingdom, inviting people into the kingdom. Now he's coming as the conquering king of that kingdom. So what? I would love to know from each of you right now, what difference does it make that Jesus claims to be king? What difference does it make that Jesus says the kingdom of God has actually come near? I'm guessing most of us would say, ah. I know God loves me. I know I find my salvation in him. Yeah, but what does it mean that he's your king? What does it mean that the kingdom has brought near? What does that change for us? 
And I want to try to answer that in just a few minutes this morning. It's reasonable for us to wonder whether Jesus' kingship or his kingdom makes any difference. Over 200 people have been killed in our city this year. Jackie Robinson, the school we love, the school we'll be serving in two weeks, over the past two weeks has lost a quarter of its budget. See, we live in the midst of rebellion. We live in a system and a structure and a world that does not know what it means to say yes to the will of God. We live in the midst of of our own sinful hearts that often do not say yes to the will of God. So it's reasonable to say, I don't really know what it looks like that Jesus is king. It doesn't seem like he is, maybe. Maybe it doesn't seem like his kingdom actually is near most of the time. In her short little book called Holy the Firm, Annie Dillard asks, Did Christ descend once and for all to no purpose in a kind of divine suicide? Or did he ascend once and for all, pulling his cross up after him like a rope ladder home? You hear the question? Either way, what difference does it make? If Jesus came in sort of a divine suicide meant to show us something interesting about how to live, what difference does it actually make? If Jesus did indeed resurrect and ascend to heaven and pull his cross up after him like a rope. What difference does it make that Jesus is king? I think the church in Rome that Mark was writing to would have been asking this question. What difference does it make to us in this place, at the center of the empire, experiencing persecution? What difference does it make that Jesus is king? In chapter 13 of Mark, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Uh, Jesus warns his disciples about coming persecution. And I think that church in Rome would have been encouraged by this because they're experiencing that persecution. And so to know that Jesus saw it coming and and sought to encourage them would would have been a good thing, right? And then we see this in verse 11 of chapter 13. Jesus says to his disciples, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Mark doesn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but this is key. This community that Mark is writing to, they would have been convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. They would look back at Jesus' triumphal entry that we read about this morning and see the Son of David on his way to defeating sin and death and evil in the most surprising way possible. This early community would have believed that Jesus is ruling and reigning from heaven, and they would anticipate and look forward to the day when he would return and establish God's creation for eternity. But in this very short verse, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit, in this very short verse, Mark reminds them that the implications for Jesus being their king, are not just past tense. Are not just about what God did through Jesus at his victorious death and resurrection. And the implications of Jesus being king are not just for the future of his one day return. Instead, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the implications of Jesus' kingship are very much for today. 
And this is what we need to see. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus' kingship, makes the kingdom of God available and relevant to us today. The Holy Spirit makes the kingdom of God available and relevant to us today. Amen? Amen. To see this, though, we need to skip ahead 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, Luke describes the festival of Pentecost. In verse 1, he says, When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Jesus has been arrested. He has suffered, he's been crucified, he's resurrected, and he's ascended. And now, during the festival of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Skip ahead to verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here's some things you need to know about Pentecost. Pentecost was, first of all, an agricultural festival. It was the festival when farmers brought the first sheaves of wheat. I think that's what they're called, sheaves of wheat. The first bit of wheat that grew, they harvested and brought it to the temple at Pentecost as a sacrifice to God. Pentecost, as a Jewish festival, was a gathered worship festival. It was the people of God gathering to worship. How so? They were giving thanks that God was bringing in the harvest. That's a really big deal if you don't have a Jewel Osco around, right? This is how you eat. So they come to God literally with the first bits of the harvest and they give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for once again providing for us. But remember, This is just the beginning of the harvest. So there's not just an element of thanksgiving. There's an element of petition. God, we need you to bring in the rest of the harvest too. We can't get by on just this. So God, we praise you and we give thanks to you, but we're also believing you that you are going to continue providing. Do you see this? So it's a worshipful gathering, Pentecost is. We're giving thanks, we're giving praise, and we're petitioning together for God's provision for us. But over time, Pentecost also developed another element. Because the festival fell, again, about 50 days after Passover. Now, what was Passover? Passover is when God led his people out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. The angel of death passed over the Hebrew children, and they were led out of captivity and slavery. Roughly 50 days later, those same people are now in the wilderness. Moses is up on the mountain having some kind of conversation with God. He comes down with what? The Ten Commandments, the law, right? And so Pentecost came to take on this commemorative element as well, remembering God's gift of the law. Now, maybe gift and law doesn't quite go together for you because we can think of things like the Ten Commandments as Don't do this. Do this. If you do this, I'm happy with you. If you don't do this, I'm going to smite you or whatever. That's not how the the Hebrew children understood it. They understood this to be evidence of their blessedness. God chose us. 
to show to the world what the blessed life looks like, what the God-honoring life looks like, what the God-reflecting life looks like. He set us apart. He rescued us so that we would be a blessing to the entire world. Are you, are you with me? So Pentecost is a, a gathering of worship, but there's also an element of being sent for mission. We, the people of God, are meant to be a blessing to the entire world. We're meant to show the entire world what God is like and what God wants to do in his good creation. Are you with me? Okay, I know that maybe that feels like a tangent, but I need you to hang with me. I need you not to forget what I'm saying right now, okay? So this is Pentecost. Pentecost is not the day when the Holy Spirit... Pentecost existed before the Holy Spirit was poured out. A festival of worship and a way of being sent by God commemorating God's gift of the law to the nations and to the world. And this is exactly what we see in Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. First, the Holy Spirit gathers the disciples for worship in the upper room. There's a gathering element on that day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out. And then the Holy Spirit scatters. He sends them into the streets of Jerusalem, speaking other languages to proclaim, Jesus is Lord, and he's not dead anymore. So even on that first Pentecost, there's worship and there's sent on mission. Are you with me? Okay, I'm almost done. So with Pentecost as the backdrop, I want to end, I want to close with two ways that the Holy Spirit makes the kingdom of God present and relevant for us today. Two ways that the Holy Spirit makes the kingdom of God present and relevant to us today. First, think about those first fruits, that festival of the first fruits. The first thing, the Holy Spirit gathers us to worship our victorious King. The Holy Spirit gathers us to worship our victorious King. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 16, don't you know that you yourselves, plural, plural, you yourself, y'all, don't you know that y'all are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Here's the truth. If you say yes to Jesus, if you give your life to Jesus, if you confess Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Amen? It's great news. But Jesus didn't come first off to save individual souls. Jesus came to win the kingdom of God. Jesus came first off to reunite creation itself, heaven and earth. And within that, you and I are called and saved and rescued. Amen? There's implications then. There's y'all implications. There's us implications of this, Paul says. The Spirit, when we gather together, dwells richly among us. Amen? What does that mean? It means that when we worship, the kingdom of God should be visible to outsiders. When we gather to worship, 
And the Holy Spirit dwells and moves and speaks and convicts and encourages and heals and saves among us, the kingdom of God should be visible to outsiders. That means that when we're worshiping and somebody hears Marquita and the team on the street and says, oh, that doesn't sound like the park district, and they come in, they should see something about the kingdom of God here. Right? Amen? That means that two weeks ago, when we walked out in that cold, windy, nasty day to pray across from the one stop on a Sunday morning, those of you who are here, you know where I'm going, and the police officer pulls up and some of you start getting real nervous. And he says, can I receive communion with you? Will you pray for me? And the people at the one stop looking out over When the Holy Spirit dwells among his people, outsiders should have a glimpse at the kingdom of God, that it is near, that it is coming. Amen? This means that in two weeks, here's a quick little pitch, when we don't have worship service, we go serve our neighbors at Jackie Robinson School, and you all pull up your sleeves and are digging in the dirt and painting and planting gardens. Our neighbors have a glimpse that there's a new regime. There's a new king who has different priorities for this world. Are you with me? Okay. Here's the and. It's not just that outsiders are meant to experience the kingdom of God when we gather in worship. It's that we are meant to experience the kingdom of God when we gather in worship. There's some real practical implications of this. So you ready? What time does church start? I'll make some of y'all uncomfortable right now. What time does church start? 10 o'clock. I know you all are great at getting to your jobs on time. I'm pretty sure of that, Hollis, right? I can make that assumption. Right? You, you're pretty good at that. And I'm not, no one's trying to make you feel guilty. I get it. I got two little kids. I really get it. You and I are meant to experience the presence of our king and his kingdom when we gather in worship. And you're making it hard when you show up consistently late. You're making it difficult for yourselves when you've tried to do so much on a Sunday morning that it doesn't feel like Sabbath anymore, but another stressful day of the week. There's an invitation Please hear this not as condemnation, but as an invitation for you to experience Sabbath rest on Sunday in such a way that would allow you, I know miracle of miracles, to actually get to church a few minutes early and greet one another. Maybe, maybe I know, crazy, maybe pray for like 60 seconds before the worship service starts. Is it okay, Pastor Michelle, if I'm saying this? Is this okay? Yeah. So that the worship team, so that the worship team who's been preparing all week long to call you into worship has more than four or five of you here. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just, I just, okay. Are you, you, you with me? You okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? All right. But the invitation is that when we gather, we get to experience the kingdom of God. We're not just going through the motions here. 
We're not just shouting words at the sky. Because here's the thing. All week long, you have been told who your king is. And sometimes it's something you're really happy about. My king is my, my spouse or that friend or this new job that I got. I know all of us can say Jesus is king. What do we spend most of our time thinking about? What do you spend most of your time worrying about? What do you spend most of your time stressed about? That's who your king is, okay? So all week long, we've been told who has authority, who has power, who is our king. And this is meant to be the time in worship when we encounter the world's true king. Amen? This is meant to be the time when everything that has become king in your life gets really really small. Now, maybe it's still important, right? Like your job is still important. Your spouse is still important. Your kids are still important. That worry about how am I going to meet that need, all of that stuff, that's there. That matters. But how much does it matter? Right? It shrinks to its right size. Donald Trump gets really little when the people of God, I'm serious. He gets really little when the people of God worship. Why? Because not only do the false gods and the false kings get small, the world's true king gets really big. Really, really big. And he covers every need, every longing, every desire in your heart when we worship together. Okay, let me get real practical again. Okay, I gave you something good. Now let me lean in a little bit hard again. So when Marquita or Esther leading us in worship say, raise your hands, what? Raise your hands. When they say, say hallelujah, what? Say hallelujah. Right? Why? Because they know that you've been lied to all week. And they know as they prepared these worship sets, that you have been deceived, you've been distracted, that I've been deceived and discouraged and distracted all week long. And I'm going to show up here on Sunday and I might not want to raise my hands. I might not want to sing. I might not want to say hallelujah. Does that change the fact that Jesus is still king? No, absolutely not. We need to tell our minds to worship. We need to tell our hearts to worship. We need to tell our bodies to worship our king. Do not assume that you're going to, especially if you're running in here 15 minutes for the 1015 service, which we don't have a 1015 service. Do not expect, do not expect that I'm just going to feel this. I'm just going to be authentic. I'm just going to, no. I know what your life is like. I know what my life is like. You're not sitting at the end of every day with two hours of Kurt Franklin just blasting into your ears or whatever your music is. Like, you're busy. You're distracted. you got a lot going on. We gather for work. I know I'm belaboring this. But, but we're meant to experience the kingdom of God. We are meant in worship to see that this thing that feels impossible is actually here. We're meant to see the mustard seed. Jesus says it's like a mustard seed. How many mustard seeds do you and I walk over every single week? Jesus says the kingdom is coming, but it's coming like a mustard seed. And So in corporate worship, when we gather to worship our God, all of a sudden in faith, we start to see all the places where the kingdom is coming. 
I tell you, we need you to see. We really need you to see where the kingdom of God is coming. And this gets to maybe this to, to the second piece here. So we gather in worship, and in worship we experience our king and his kingdom, and then we're sent on mission. Just as Pentecost was the commemoration of God's gift of the law to be a blessing to the world, so the Spirit of God scatters us and sends us on mission. In the Old Testament, the temple, kind of symbolically, was the place where God was bringing heaven and earth together. Heaven where his perfect rule and will was done to earth. But the prophets tell us that the glory of God in the temple wasn't supposed to be contained in the, in the, in the temple. What was supposed to happen to the glory of God? It's to spill out, to flow out and cover the world as waters cover the sea. And so that's, that's the image for us. People of God, body of Christ, new temple, the glory of God is meant to spill out from us as we are sent from this place to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God everywhere we go. This room is not full of a collection of individuals who all happen to believe the same thing. That's not what this is. This room is a community of ambassadors of reconciliation. This room is a community of representatives of the king and his new kingdom. What does that mean? You and I don't get to choose the agenda. It's not my will. It's his will. It's not what I think needs to happen. It's what he thinks is important. Amen? So we're sent from this place as representatives of ambassadors everywhere we go. Uh, And and so I don't know what you're picturing when you think about that. But my guess would be, because I know a lot of you, that you're picturing something really big, really huge. I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to finally say that thing. I'm going to be, okay, that's good. Do that. But can I say, maybe start with the little thing first? Like, how about how you talk with your children? Like, how about that conversation with that friend who you know is struggling and you just haven't taken the time? Or, or how about that way of engaging with your finances that you, you, you could do tomorrow? You, you could start that tomorrow. You could be an ambassador of our king and our kingdom, starting with some pretty doable things. I know you all like idealists. We want to change the world. Yes, good. Let's do that. But start with the thing that's right in front of you. Where has God sent you very specifically today and tomorrow? Where do you have credibility and influence that I will never where I will never have credibility and influence? Go there. Be Christ's representative in that place. Jesus says in Matthew 18 and 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have authority. You have the authority of heaven at your disposal. If you are living as Christ's ambassador, as a kingdom representative, you have authority. Do you know that? Are you living out of that? Whatever you bind 
on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Listen, God is bringing heaven and earth together through his people. We don't control that. We don't always know what that looks like. But that is the promise of the king who has won our victory. Amen? That his kingdom is near through the presence of his body today. That means you have authority. That means that you have Holy Spirit power at your disposal. Stop living defeated lives. That thing that has just been there for how long? Sitting there, staring at you, telling you that it will never change. You have authority over that. You have power over that. You have been sent to that place. That thing is not there coincidentally. You've been sent to that person, to that place, to that illness, to that disease, to that dysfunction, that, to that injustice, that thing that you have gotten so accustomed to saying, it'll just always be like that. It'll never change. I will never change. She will never change. You have been sent to that with the authority of God at your disposal. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit makes present and relevant the kingdom of God today. Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a conquering king. He is still a conquering king. He is ruling and reigning over the universe. His kingdom is coming near. It looks like a mustard seed a lot of the times. So we gather in the power of the Holy Spirit for worship, a worship that will convince outsiders and ourselves that there is a king and his kingdom is coming. Amen? And then that spirit scatters and sends us with authority and power to represent our king and his kingdom in our world. Amen? So let me pray over you, uh, and then we're going to be done. We're not going to do any closing worship. Is that okay, Marquita? All right? Okay. So uh, I'm going to give you a minute. Just bow your heads and, uh, and close your eyes, please. We like to do this sometimes in our church. Just ask the Holy Spirit to confirm anything that has uh, been said to our hearts today that is for us. So Spirit, continue to speak right now. I ask very particularly that you would convince our hearts and our minds that our king is present, that his kingdom is available to us today, and that there are some very specific ways that we get to represent that and experience that starting right now. And so often, Lord, your, your kingdom seems uh, theoretical. It seems at a distance. It seems maybe like something that was important uh, at one point uh, when you walked this earth, but uh, it can lose its relevancy. And we need you, Holy Spirit, um, to, to, to make clear to our hearts and our minds that God's kingdom is breaking into our reality. 
that you keep your promises. That the victory that you won for us on the cross was not just to uh, pacify us for one future day, but was to initiate and to inaugurate your kingdom today. So I pray for these, your ambassadors, your representatives. God, I pray that you would be uh, convincing their hearts of the goodness of your kingdom, and the goodness of their king. God, I pray that you would be uh, 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 giving them the, the insight to see just how much greater, how much grander, how much more powerful are you than, than any other king that is trying to lay claim, lay hold of their lives. And so in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that every false god, every false idol, every false king would slide away today. That We would be infatuated with our king. That our hearts would be captivated by our king. That we could not help but worship and swear our allegiance once again. Place our faith once again in this, in this king. Now I pray that you would send us. God, would you send us as as people who uh, are humble, as people who know they need to hear from you, as people who are patient, but God, as people who have power and who are not afraid to admit that we exist and we move in the power of God. God, send us as people who know the impossibility of the task in front of us and so who are desperate for your power and your authority to be manifest in our lives. Pray right now for anybody who's having trouble believing that the Holy Spirit has given them this power. Please convince them, God. Please give them an experience with you. Please say something to them today and this week that would show them the scope of your power in their lives. I pray that you would give every one of us something this week, something that would terrify us, something that would scare us, something that would seem too big that would allow us the opportunity to see your power at work in and through our lives. When you give us that moment this week, help us to not turn away in fear, but to lean in in expectation of the good thing you want to do through us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.